0: Our scripture today comes from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 22, beginning in verse 8. Second Kings 22, beginning in verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Ashiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning it. So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam and Achbor, and Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Amen. Our speaker tonight is Trent Rogers. Many of you know Trent as he is your ethos leader uh, on your group on on Sunday night. Uh, As you know, he's also married to a great woman, Becca, and has a wonderful son, Luke. And Trent is currently working on a degree at Loyola. And he is, the, I think, the perfect man that God has in store for us to bring the word tonight concerning the word of God. And if you would like to borrow a Bible to follow along with him, feel free to raise your hand. We have some uh, Bibles that spell to make pass out to you. And so, Trent, come bring it, man.
1: Do you want me to use this? I think I'm going to use that mic. Okay. I guess i Tonight's sermon is on the Word of God, but I wanted to start with a confession. I really am passionate about God's Word, so passionate that I stole a copy. So if you placed your Bible on the welcome table, and I inadvertently took it home this past Sunday, this is yours, so see me afterwards and I'll make sure it gets to you. In all seriousness, though, I am ex- incredibly excited about this topic tonight because it is the premise upon which everything we do is built. If God is not actively speaking to us today through his word, then everything we're doing here is pointless. Bible studies are pointless. Sermons are pointless. And this is the vision that I have for myself and you as my church family. I want us to be so consumed with a love for God that we diligently pursue him by reading and obeying his word. And as a result, we would become a community transformed by God's word. I want to begin this night's uh, sermon by telling you two stories from the book of Acts that illustrate that true corporate revival comes when individuals respond personally to the word of God in their lives. The first story is a story of personal revival in response to God's word. And it concerns Paul and Silas. And as you know, Paul and Silas were traveling around the Mediterranean world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't a very popular message. And the local magistrates and one town imprisoned them. And they put them in prison and they put over their charge a jailer who knew that they were Christians. And one night, as Paul and Silas were singing hymns and praying to God, God sent a miraculous earthquake, and their bonds were broken, and the the, the bars of their jail cell were opened, and they were freed. The jailer, who was just aghast at what had happened, was, was terrified until he saw these two Christians voluntarily remaining in their jail cell. And his question to them is is this famous question. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their response is predictable. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. But the means, what they did next, is somewhat unexpected for some of us. Acts says this, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. We see here that a a person's heart is transformed by the word of God. He repented. God created him anew. And he became a follower of Jesus. Another story in Acts illustrates the necessity of the word of God for corporate revival. This time, the story concerns the apostles. And they were again proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, the local magistrates took issue with that. They began to persecute them and and threaten them that they should no longer speak the name of Jesus. What should the apostles do at this point? Should they look out for their own security and the security of their families? What they did is they meditated on Scripture, in this case Psalm 2, and they prayed this prayer. Listen to this prayer because we'll return to it at the end. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. And the result of this prayer was that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And the rest of the book of Acts describes how ordinary Christians went out into the world proclaiming God's word, and God was faithful to that word and increased the church. Now some of you are probably thinking at this point, especially those in my ethos group, that I inserted uh, some text from the New Testament just because I feel more comfortable in the New Testament. You're partly true on that, uh, but I do think there are two points that we can learn from these New Testament texts that will recur in Second Kings. First, revival in an individual and in a community comes about when God works. This is a theme that has recurred throughout our sermons, that we cannot create revival. It's God working in us. And secondly, the primary responsibilities of humans are to respond to and proclaim the Word of God. Revival is about God's activity in us. And these stories and acts demonstrate that both personal and corporate revival come in response to the Word of God. Our text this evening, as Andy read, is from Second Kings 22. And I want to break the text down into three broad sections. So if, if you're a note taker, get these three sections. The first section is the failure of forgetting the Word of God. The failure of forgetting the Word of God. Secondly, repentant remembrance of the Word of God. Repentant remembrance of the Word of God. And then thirdly, God's faithfulness. To his word, God's faithfulness to his word. We will see tonight that in order to experience sustained revival, we must respond appropriately to God's word. In order to experience sustained revival, we must respond appropriately to the word of God. Now the background to this story this evening is that Josiah is king in Judah, and he sent his secretary Shaphan to count the money they had collected for the repair of the temple. And let's just remember what happens, and I'll I'll reread what Andy already did. Let's read verses 8 through 10. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. So a little background knowledge I think would be appropriate here. We have to understand who is Josiah and and, and what is he reigning. So Josiah is king of Judah. And as I mentioned, for those of you who are here early, it's Judah and not Israel, because at this time, we have a divided kingdom. So after the reign of Solomon, you have Israel in the north, which was a more fertile land and had several more tribes. And Judah was in the south, and it was a smaller kingdom and more desolate area. In the south was also Jerusalem and the temple and the Davidic monarchy. Around 720 BC, the Assyrians came into Israel in the north and they they destroyed Israel. And Josiah, our story today, is around 640 when Josiah becomes king of Judah, roughly 80 years after he had witnessed the destruction of Assyria. And after Josiah's reign, about 25 years, roughly 586, the Babylonians will destroy Jerusalem and Judah. The reign of Josiah is, is kind of an interesting one. His, his father was king in Judah, who was assassinated. And Josiah became king at the ripe age of eight. From Second Chronicles, we learn that at 16, he began to seek after God. And at age 20, he removed idols and false worship. At age 24 is when our text today comes to us, when he finds the book of the law in the temple. And he reigned 31 years altogether. So what do we know about the reign of Josiah? Was he a good king, a righteous king? Well, first and second Kings basically just chronicle through the kings in Israel and Judah. And they give a, a brief description of their life. And then at the end, there's a, a little report card from God. And it says, this is how they did. They were a righteous king or they were an evil king. Think about now how you would evaluate a king's performance. I would think of things like, did he keep his people safe from invasion? Was there general law and order in the land? Did the nation see economic flourishing and prosperity under his reign? Now, if these were our criteria, and if these were the criteria that the books of kings evaluate kings on, Probably the most successful king in the history of Israel would be Omri. Now, many of you probably don't know much about Omri because kings doesn't say much about Omri. Although he increased the land in Israel, this was a time of great economic flourishing, probably the most wealth ever in Israel. There was stability and peace in the land, and it was a stability that lasted generations. But this is how 1 Kings 16 describes the reign of Omri. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did more evil than all who were before him. He walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in the sins of that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. There's no mention of what Omri did politically, militarily, or economically. His reign is judged on one basis alone. His faithfulness to God and God's word. In contrast, Josiah reigning in a less significant kingdom in the south in a time of not real economic prosperity, where there was constant threat from the outside. This is how Kings evaluates his reign. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might according to the law of Moses, according to the word of God. Nor did any like him arise after him. And the point of that brief history of Israel is this. The way that we treat God and respond to his word is a good indicator of what we think of God. If your life is characterized by reading his word and submitting to it humbly, it reveals who is the Lord of your life. And similarly, if you treat the Bible with indifference, it also reveals something about your heart. Now, the burning question for me when when I read this story is, how could they possibly have forgotten the word of God? I mean, how is that possible? we tend to look back on the history of Israel and think, you know, that was a time when people had pure hearts. That was a time when they really wanted to seek after God. But it's really not the case. I think their hearts are very similar to ours today. But how could they have possibly forgotten the word? When the king ascended to the throne, he was commanded to write out a copy for himself. The priests were there to teach God's word, and the people were to memorize it and engrave it on the tablets of their hearts. So how could they forget it? It's hard to imagine that everything was going well in Israel, that Worship was incredibly pure, and one day a priest simply misplaced the only book of the wall that they had, and that worship just degenerated from then on out. A more plausible explanation is that it was slowly neglected and eventually silenced intentionally. Perhaps the priest in Judah had witnessed what had happened in Israel. Perhaps they saw what happened with Ahab and Jezebel, who killed the prophets and persecuted anyone who would teach God's word. With wicked kings in Judah like Hezekiah, Manasseh, and Amon, they might have feared how the king would have responded if somebody had stood up and said, you're not the ultimate law in the land. We owe obedience to a greater king. The king wouldn't have taken that well. So the religious leaders and the people, they made an agreement, an unspoken agreement, but an agreement nonetheless. The agreement was not to proclaim the word of God. It was too unpopular. It was too dangerous. And they couldn't afford that. Does that sound something like today? So what do you do when you find yourself in the situation of neglecting the Word of God? Perhaps it's not outright putting it aside, but maybe it's a, a subtle pattern of neglect. Well, thankfully, we can learn this story from Josiah also. So the second point, the repentant remembrance of the Word of God in 2 Kings 22, 11-13. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahiakim the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of God or the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. Whatever joy Josiah might have had when he found that book of the law, it was quickly diminished when he found out that they were under the curse. They were under the wrath of God. Not only had they abandoned God, they had also replaced worship of God with idols. Now, in the Old Testament... This phrase, the book of the law, almost always refers to the book of Deuteronomy. And it's probable that as Josiah read the book of Deuteronomy, he came to a text like Deuteronomy 28. And you don't need to turn there, but let me just demonstrate what he might have read and and his, his feeling as he read it. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I commanded you today, Today, then all these curses shall come upon you, and they will overtake you. Curse shall you be in the city, and curse shall you be in the field. Curse shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Curse shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Curse shall you be when you come in, and curse shall you be when you go out. And it continues on like this, but I think you get the general theme. Disobedience begets God's cursing. So, both the Bible and then the prophetess of God will announce the ultimate doom of Israel for her unfaithfulness, for Judah, for her unfaithfulness. But Josiah responds in faithfulness anyway. And, and that's important. He responds in faithfulness anyway. Josiah's response is one of repentance. He tears his clothes and. Tearing your clothes is a way to show your shock and your horror at a situation. He acknowledged that he can't proceed in the same way with the knowledge he had just received. See, Josiah saw himself in his actions in light of the truth of God's word. And when confronted with the truth of God's word, he didn't just tell God, oh, I'm sorry for this. He went against everything that everyone in Israel and Judah had been doing. And he tore down the pagan altars, and he turned to God in repentance. We can learn a lesson from Josiah here. We can learn a lesson from the way that he reads God's Word. He didn't treat it as if it were some outdated historical account. No, he, he recognized that God's Word speaks to our present situation. Let's learn that lesson from Josiah. Perhaps you're like me, and um, whenever you read something in the Word of God that really challenges you, you're kind of taken back. And my first response is to, um, well, I'd love to say it's to accept it, but oftentimes I, I like to reject it. But I do it in a very sophisticated way. I use a thing called hermeneutics. Are any of you familiar with, uh, with hermeneutics? Hermeneutics properly interprets the Word of God, but hermeneutics for me often is trying to find a way around the Word of God. And this is a time where I need to learn a lesson from Josiah. In this text, we're also confronted with the sad reality of generational sin. Josiah says that we are under God's wrath because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. This is a stern warning for us not to shirk in our faithfulness to God and His Word. Imagine the situation where God's people were bringing their sacrifices to the temple. They, they came to worship God and they came to have life with God. But they came there and they found only dead rituals. Long ago, the Word of God had been silenced. Many of us have come out of a similar background We went to church intending to worship God and intending to find life, but we found only dead rituals. The sad reality is, is that most of those dead churches that we went to were once thriving with genuine gospel renewal because they cherished and taught God's word. And that is a warning to us as EBF not to forsake God's word. You can start out well and finish poorly. You know, the trajectory of these churches is, is kind of a, a similar trajectory of what I've experienced in revival services myself, and I have to confess, I was somewhat skeptical when the idea of prelude to revival came along, because growing up in the church, we went to these youth retreats. Has anybody been to a youth retreat? Um, the, the retreats I went to almost always had something to do with fire, and I, I won't, these, these are totally made up because I'm going to protect those other ministries, but they were like burning hearts for Christ or catch the fire for Jesus or something really cheesy like that. Um, but what I would witness at these retreats is youth would come home. They would come back to their church. They, they would be really excited, and they would have made dedications of their lives to ministry or to missions. They'd come home with this great excitement, but like a fire, they would, they would die out really quickly. And in some ways, a fire is a good metaphor for the Christian life because a fire is not self-sustaining. You have to feed the fire. And what I witnessed really consistently was that the youth that did not commit themselves to consistent and prayerful meditation on God's Word burned out very quickly. And it was really sad to see this in my church. So perhaps at this point, You've recognized how you've begun to slip with regards to the Word of God. Perhaps these are subtle subtle patterns that you've seen in your life, subtle patterns of neglect. Maybe it's somewhat inadvertent or unintentional. Thankfully, the story of Josiah doesn't end there. Thankfully, human repentance is met with the promise of God. And the promise of God is this. The promise is that God is faithful to His Word. God is faithful to his word. And we see this in the last long section of verses 14 through 20. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Achbor and Shaphan and Uzziah went to hold of the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against the place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn down your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. We see in this section God's faithfulness to his word. And oftentimes we think of faithfulness, we think of human response to God and that is an incredibly important aspect of the Christian life. But we also need to emphasize God's faithfulness. I love that song we sung, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I was very excited to see that hymn this morning. The covenant curses that Josiah read in Deuteronomy 28 have corresponding covenant blessings. And 2 Kings illustrates that God is faithful to His word in this way He is faithful to His word according to judgment, and He is faithful to His word according to blessing. Judgment corresponding to the curse and blessing corresponding to the blessing. God's faithfulness in his judgment is demonstrated with Judah. For several hundred years, God had warned Judah. When they came into the land, he warned them, don't forsake me with idols. And they did it anyway. And he warned them again through the judges and the prophets and some of the kings. But Israel and Judah forsook God anyway. The point of God's forbearance had been reached. He was going to judge Judah by the hand of another nation. God promised the covenant curses for unfaithfulness, and in his faithfulness, he judged the nation. Now, that's the covenant curses, but the covenant blessings are demonstrated with Josiah. God is faithful in blessings. The judgment that God prophesied would not happen during the reign of Josiah. God is responding graciously, even to the heart of one individual who responds to Him in repentance. God honors the repentance, even of one single man. So, now that we've uh, gone through the text, I think it's I think it's pretty straightforward. But in light of the the promises and curses of 2 Kings and Deuteronomy, I want to reflect tonight on two points of application, one a warning and one a promise. And the first one I want to reflect on is a a warning. And the warning is forgetting the Word of God. We've read the shocking story of the Word of God not being read and obeyed in ancient Judah. And the question for us is this, how have you forgotten the Word of God? What are subtle patterns of neglect in your own life? I'm going to group these into three common areas that I I think I experience in my own life and I've seen in the life of the church. These three areas are laziness, lack of courage, and critical objections to God's word. Treating the first topic of forgetting the word of God. are, Are you guilty of laziness when it comes to God's word? There are a lot of us, myself included, who come out of legalistic backgrounds in which we memorized and and read God's word in part we felt in order to be justified before him. Then we read the real gospel and we realize that our standing before God is dependent on the work of Christ alone. What happens is is for some of us the the motivation then is, is somehow removed for us to read God's word. And we transition from being diligent legalists to informed sluggards. There are many of us here who need to reevaluate how we treat God's Word because, again, it says something profound about how we view God. And my exhortation tonight is don't be an informed sluggard. Be a diligent Christian who is in love with Jesus and wants Him to direct your life. Christian discipline is is not something of which we should be ashamed. So in light of that theme of Christian discipline, I just have a few suggestions for how to incorporate God's word into your life. And you've heard all these before, but perhaps uh, being reminded of them will help you. A a great way to do this is, is to follow a reading plan where... You, you read through a text of Scripture each day. Some of these have a text from the Old Testament, and the text from the New Testament that you read through. Some of them are chronological. Some of them go straight through the Bible. Just choose one. And there are some of you that are, that are probably discouraged because you wanted to start January 1st. And you, you think, if I, could start, if I could go back and start January 1st, I, I would do that. Well, the good news for you is you don't live in the dark ages. Um, there are apps now that you can download and, and you can work through each day a text of the Scripture. It'll tell you where you're at. So if you start today, which is uh, the 11th, it'll tell you your projected end date, which would be 11th of next year. And you can speed up, too, if you want to, if you want to finish by the beginning of next year. I use an app called Olive Tree, um, courtesy of Nathan. By the way, on that point, an accountability partner is a good, uh, is a good thing, too. You don't want an angry email from Nathan. Another thing that i 've seen some of some people do, and I do myself is that devoting uh, a different day of the week to some topic that you that you really just sense needs addressed in your life, so perhaps it's it 's a topic of uh, of lust and you just want to read a passage like Proverbs five that we heard preached and, and just meditate on that on Sunday, and then Monday, perhaps you want to. Uh, rekindle the the love you have for Christ's sacrifice. So you read something like uh, Colossians 1 or Philippians 2, and you meditate on a different topic each day of the week. Now, I've often joked that the uh, unfortunate downside of this is you can only work on seven things at any given time then, seven days of the week. Um, I guess I don't need to pause for laughter after that. (laughs) Other people I've found that they've they've meditated on very short passages of Scripture. I I knew a guy that meditated for like six months on Philippians 1. I honestly don't know how he did that, but I think that'll be helpful for some of you. And lastly, memorize Scripture. I mean, there's a number of ways to do this. There's memorization plans. Jason has modeled this from the pulpit. But memorize Scripture. Don't be an informed sluggard. So secondly, we we treated the under the warning of forgetting God's word, laziness. Some of you might be guilty of a lack of courage. Some of you are like the priests who hid the unpalatable word of God to save their own standing. We know that the word of God isn't really popular today. And, And the question isn't if living in light of and proclaiming God's word will be popular. It certainly will not be. The question is if you have the courage to be faithful to God and his word and his rule in your life. And just some brief suggestions on this. Um, I've been helped incredibly by uh, Christian books on this topic. I recommend two to you uh, by D.A. Carson. One is a long book, The Gagging of God, and the second one is much shorter, The Intolerance of Tolerance. Secondly, on this topic, I, I would encourage you to pray through it. I mean, that's what the apostles did, right? They they prayed that they would speak the Word of God boldly. You can pray that same prayer. I also encourage you to meditate on passage of scripture like John fifteen, where Jesus assures us that they hated him and his word first, or something like revelation twenty through twenty one where we see the promise of god's victory so we've treated The warning under laziness and under lack of courage. And and the third one, perhaps you have critical objections. Some of you have uh, read the Bible, maybe in a university setting, and you've heard people question the authority of God's word, or perhaps you've read it with the History Channel on, and uh, you've seen people question uh, the authority and the truth of God's word. And we can't treat all of those objections tonight, but I do encourage you, if you have questions like that, those critical questions, go talk to the elders or talk to John and Jason. There are people in our church that spend a significant portion of their week dealing with such questions, and, and they can help you through that. So we've treated that the warning, the, the, the warning of the covenant. And now I want to treat the promise. And the promise is the new covenant. I want to close with a promise because I don't want you all to leave thinking that you're under the curses of the covenant. Josiah's reforms had a profound impact on another man living in Judah at this time. This other man was the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, moved by the covenant renewals of Josiah and inspired by the word of God, Prophesied of a time when God would make a new covenant with his people. He says that in that day, God promises to put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And this is the promise for us the promise of the new covenant. God loved us, sent a son to die for us, and adopted us into his family. We have new life in Christ. We are a part of the fulfillment of this new covenant. What's more, God has sent his spirit into our very hearts. And the way that John describes the function of the spirit, the spirit is to remind us of the words of Jesus. The spirit is to remind us of the word of God. So we've argued throughout that in order to experience sustained revival, we must respond appropriately to the Word of God. So it seems in closing that I need to say something about what is response to God's Word? What what will that look like? What is appropriate response to God's Word? That will look different for each of you. Um, Each of you have different things. that The Holy Spirit will lay on your heart. But when you read the Word of God humbly, the Spirit will reveal to you what what you really are. It's like looking into a mirror that, that reflects truly. And you'll see yourself in the light of the cross. And you'll see both who you are in Christ and who you need to become in Christ. And when you see who you are in Christ, it should make you cry out in praise to God for His work on your behalf, for the work of Christ on the cross. Redeeming you. And when you see who you need to become in Christ, it should cause you to submit to God's word humbly and obedience, to experience change through the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, we know that you are the one who makes all things new, you renew the hearts of individuals, you bring revival to the church. We ask that you uh, help us to be responsive to your leading, Lord. We ask that you would help us sustain this special time of revival that we are experiencing. We ask that we would devote ourselves to your word. Father, we ask that we would be found faithful in, in reading and studying your word and diligently living it out. Renew our vigor for you, Lord. Amen.